Andy preached on how biblical or Christian forgiveness looks different than like the much of the rest of the world. And this week we're continuing in this series of Christ and Culture, and we're going to focus our time this morning on Ephesians chapter 4. So if you would turn there with me, please, uh, if you have a pew Bible, that's on page 978. We're going to be reading a larger section, uh, which is 17 through 32, but we're really going to focus most of our time on the last few verses. But please read along with me, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to every, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you are in Christ. Assuming that you have learned, uh, that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit, in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each, one of, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come now. And we pray that you would be with us by the power of your Holy Spirit as we look at your word. Would you teach us from it and make us zealous to apply it to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week I was reminded of one of my favorite movies because of a picture that I saw. And it kind of jogged my mind. I hadn't seen it in a while. So I, I just went quickly on the internet and read up a little bit because I was thinking, man, it's kind of an old movie. Turns out it's 28 years old. It was made in 1989. And I recognize for some of you in this congregation right now, that seems like the world didn't exist then. And there's no way you're going to watch this movie. But I was reminded of this movie because of the picture, I told you. It was a picture of Robin Williams standing on a desk. And it's from the back of a classroom and there are students all around him. And I I see that some of you are tracking very closely with me. You're probably well-cultured or old. That's that's one of the two options. Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But to get you brought up to speed, the movie is a movie called Dead Poets Society. And I'm about to explain a little bit of this movie. It's way better than this description I'm about to say, because I'm about to tell you that the main character is an English teacher at a boarding school. That doesn't sound exciting. But it's good, so watch it. 
Actually, take that back. I'm not making a recommendation to, of a movie from the pulpit because there may be a word in there that I would regret. So that being said, we can talk later about Head Poets Society. But in this movie, Robin Williams plays the character named John Keating. He's an inspirational English teacher who's been brought in, and the students really respond to him. And he's always teaching them about the importance of words and the power of words. And one day when he's instructing the boys in writing poetry, he tells them that they must choose the exact right word, that word choice is incredibly important. And so he tells them, boys, in this endeavor, laziness will not do. Laziness will not do. Now, that was true for them, but that also rings true for the Christian life as well. When it comes to our words, laziness will not do. And the reason I say that is because Scripture will not allow it. In fact, we're to watch what we say as believers very, very carefully. Proverbs 18.21 says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Go into the New Testament, and Jesus says in Matthew 12.36 that every word we say we will be held accountable to. Not just vile words, not just untrue words, but even the words that we might say carelessly will give an account for those words. Now, I bring all this up because I want to draw a contrast between what those of us who follow Christ, what our everyday life is like, and what the rest of the world goes through, those who do not know Christ, what we see in culture. Because the rest of the culture doesn't have a problem with their words. In fact, it's much easier. They don't have to worry about anything. They do whatever they want. They say whatever they want. And the only restraint that they exercise is that which is only required socially. Now, I say this because it's not the case for the Christian at all. In fact, holding our tongues, using our tongues properly is actually very, very difficult. And I'm not sure if anyone told you when you signed up for this Christian life thing that it was going to be incredibly difficult. Hopefully they did because it's true. Walking and following Jesus is hard. And don't let anyone fool you. Living for yourself, living as the world, that's much simpler than following Jesus. You signed up for the hard road, but it's a road that pays off. I mean, let's just look, for instance, here at verse 29 in chapter 4, and just consider for a second how incredibly hard it would be just for the rest of your life to do verse 29. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. We'll just stop right there. That's such an absolute statement. And it says no corrupting talk whatsoever. I mean, I don't even know where to start with that. I mean, what kind of corruptive talk are we speaking of here? Is it harsh words? Is it careless words? Is it bad words? Slander? Bragging? Perverse words? Angry words? The list goes on and on. We got them all covered. There's so much to consider here, and we, we can't stay here until prayer tonight at 6, so we have some time restraints. So we really probably have about one, time to focus on one aspect of corruptive talk. And so the one that we're going to do is we're going to look at verse 29 and we're going to consider gossip. We're going to consider the sin of gossip. And the reason I pick gossip is perhaps because it's the most corruptive of all talk. Because it's the most dangerous. It does the most damage. And it's pretty clear in Scripture that God hates it. Consider for a second, if you were to open your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 1. There is a section in there that God talks about those who have rebelled against him so much that he turns them over to their sin. And there is a list of deplorable sins. And the person that is in there and what they do 
is listed right in there with the other things is gossip. And if you were to go and survey the book of Proverbs, you would see gossip talked about a lot in there. And here is a quick survey for you, things that you might learn if you were to study Proverbs. One, you would find out that gossip destroys a person's reputation. Gossip destroys friendships. Gossip can destroy families. It destroys unity. Gossip is actually maybe one of the highest forms of selfishness that we have in our arsenal. Because most of the time, when we are slandering or gossiping about a person, we're doing it for ourselves. We're putting someone down to elevate ourselves, to feel good about ourselves. Perhaps to gain favor in another person's eyes, we will gossip. But perhaps one of the things that you would learn looking at Proverbs is that what makes gossip so dangerous is that the damage is oftentimes, it's seemingly irreversible. And it brings shame. It brings shame on that person, the person who said it, and even to the hearer. In short, I would say this. Gossip is the sin that everyone hates, almost everyone does, and almost nobody talks about. When was the last time you were confronting someone about gospel, gossip? When was the last time someone confronted you about gossip? That being said, I don't want to spend all our whole morning here looking at the corruptive nature of gossip, but rather focusing on two people, the two people that are in view when Paul pins 29 and 30 here, These are always the two people who are involved with any corruptive talk. The two people are the speaker, or the one who's telling the gossip, and the audience, or the hearer. So we're going to talk about the teller and the hearer, and we're going to focus on those two things. But before I jump into what the speaker or the teller has going on, I want to pause for a second and just make a note that oftentimes when we read the Bible, or we hear sermons, or we we get in Bible study groups, we're always talking about theoretical situations or a theoretical person. But in this case, we're not talking about a theoretical person or a situation. We're we're not even talking about a person you know. We're talking about ourselves. See, right now, in this pulpit, we have a person who's guilty of gossip. But what we also have is in every pew is a person who's been guilty of gossip. We're talking about ourselves this morning. We either give it or take it, it seems like. And so as we go to this, let us keep that in mind. But let's now start and begin with the teller of gossip and what this passage has to say. Uh, There's an old story about Socrates and one of his students. And one day, one of the students of Socrates came up to him and told him, Socrates, I have some news for you. And Socrates, you know, handling one of his students, says, okay, come talk to me. But before we talk, you need to know that whatever you say must pass the triple filter test. And the student's like, okay, I'll bite. Like, what's the triple filter test, Socrates? Okay. And he's like, well, let's begin. First of all, is what you're about to tell me true? Is it absolutely 100% true? And the student's like, "Uh, no, I don't know, because I heard it from someone else. This is the report that I got. He's like, Well, so we don't necessarily know that it's true. Okay, well, what about the second test? And that is the test of goodness. Is what you're about to tell me good? And the student stops for a second, and he's like, actually, it's it's kind of like the opposite of that. And he's like, all right, so, so far, you want to tell me something that we don't necessarily know is true, and it's definitely not good. Got it. All right. Student's wising up to what's happening at this moment. And he's like, all right, what's the third test? And Socrates is like, the third test is, is it useful? 
is what you're about to tell me useful? Is it helpful? And the student kind of just shrugs your shoulders at this point, and he's like, probably not. And Socrates, you know how he goes, so you're telling me it's not necessarily true, and it's not good, and it's not useful. Probably shouldn't say it. Well, that's a simple story, and it has a simple point. And the simple point is what? Don't be that person. Don't gossip. Don't do it. Now, if we look at verse 29, we also see the same sort of thing being clearly said. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. I said earlier, this is such an absolute statement. Because what it's really saying is let zero corruptive talk come out of your mouth. None. And I say this, like, if it's really, really juicy, and you have a really, really trustworthy friend who would never tell a soul, and you've known them your whole life, and you're thinking, that person may be the exception, I would say, that is the target of this passage for you today. Because that is at the core, like, that is where our obedience would lie, not even sharing it with that person. I had a pastor friend once told me of a person who came to him who was struggling with a sin. This has been an ongoing, habitual sin for many years. And he is not the first pastor or elder or friend that they had gone to. And the pastor friend of mine listens to the entire story. He hears all the advice that had been given to this man in the past, all the times they had been shown in Scripture. And this person knew what he was saying. And he listened to him very carefully. And he heard the entire history. And he responded to this man in probably the most loving and pastoral way I could possibly think of. You know what he said to him? He said, you need to stop. Just stop. Stop what you're doing. And that was the end of his counsel. And it was beautiful because it's true. And he was right to say so because this person knew exactly what the Bible had to say about this. They knew that they weren't supposed to do this sin. They knew why it was wrong. They knew the damaging effects of this sin. There was nothing else to be heard or learned. The solution was simple. It was to stop doing it. Now, when it comes to gossip, it's not complex, is it? It's not complicated theology. We don't need more teaching. We don't need more motivation. We don't need more time to think about it. It's clear. God hates gossip, and so should we. Jesus at no point ever uttered a word of gossip in his entire life. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 and 27, he's talking to his disciples about some Pharisees who often whisper. And he says, in contrast, everything that you have ever heard me say, you can share with another person. In fact, he would want them to share it with another person. That is a man who knows that he's never uttered a wrong word in his life. That is a clear conscience. That is a person whose words are above reproach. And we're to be like him. So to be like him and to heed this passage, I think the application is pretty clear, isn't it? We need to remove gossip altogether from our lives. And like I said earlier, there are no exemptions. Your closest friend doesn't count. That's what it means not to gossip. In Job 31.1, Job makes a covenant with himself. He says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. We need to make a covenant with our mouth not to speak a word of gossip about anybody. So how do we ensure that we stop? If that's the advice, the counsel, the obedience here, how do we ensure that we do that? Because if it was so simple, we'd all just stop, right? We need 
to understand how to do this. So I want to go back to the story that we started with, the Socrates. And we need to bring all our speech under a test, but not the, the test of Socrates, but the test of Ephesians chapter 4, the, one that we, the chapter we were just reading. And at this point, I would say, uh, you can use your hand. God gave you five fingers on one hand, and we can use this test like this. Because there's five things that we can put a test to our words here in Ephesians chapter 4 to know if what we're saying is not corruptive. All right, so the first one, the first one is this. It's in verse 25. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So the very first thing that we must ask ourselves, is it truthful? That's the bare minimum when we begin to talk. Is it true? It needs to be verified. We're not people as believers who just pass on reports without verifying truth. We don't do that. Because remember, we need to be careful. Because what's true of every story is that there's three sides to every story. There's my side, there's your side, and then there's what? The truth, right? Yeah, that's where it is. So we need to be careful that we're only speaking truth. So that's the first test. The second test is, does it build others up? Does it build others up? If you look at verse 29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as is good for building up. Usually most of us speak for our own benefit because we want to, because it's part of our own desire. But our speech should actually be other-centered, and it should be encouraging to them. So we should be asking ourselves, is it truthful, and is it building up? As is, is it other-centered and encouraging? The third thing is, is it fitting? Does it fit? It says here in verse 29, as fits the occasion. Other translations may say timely, or as there is need. What this really saying is we should speak truth with love. Now, that means with appropriateness and discernment, with gentleness and exactness, because truth is sometimes hard to hear. If someone's going through hardship and you speak truth to them, it might come at the wrong time or in the wrong way. So we need to be appropriate in discerning. So truthful, does it build up? Does it fit? The next thing is, does it give grace? And again, back to 29, as fits the occasion that it may, may give grace to those who hear. This should be the entire aim of our speech. Does it give grace? Now, that sounds great. I want you to speak with me. I, but what does that mean? What does it mean to speak with grace? Well, another way to maybe say this is, does our speech point people to Christ? Does it point them to truth? Is it edifying? That kind of speech does us good. So, truthful, building up, fitting, does it give grace? And then finally, the last thing is in verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, that's stated in the negative, but really the last test is, does it please God? Is what I'm about to say pleasing to God? That's incredibly challenging. That would change the way I talk all day long. All right. This isn't easy, so, but it would, what, clear all that off the table for a second, maybe, if it's too much. What it boils down to is, the question is, how do we stop? Well, what it means is that we need to take every thought and word captive to Christ. One way to do that is this test, this Ephesians 4 test, perhaps. But I, I guess I just need to stop for a second and say, I need to confess and admit that I have failed this test of Ephesians 4 more times over the course of my life than I'd ever like to admit. 
And that's not okay. It's just simply not okay. Now, I don't necessarily expect you or me to actually always recall all five of these things before we say a single word. That might be asking a little much. But perhaps what we would do is that we would consider the spirit of this passage, because everything we just talked about is really more about loving our neighbor in our heart than anything else. It's, it's more like the great command, loving God and loving our neighbor, applied to our words. Would we love other people? We must move on and get to the hearer here. But before I do that, uh, I just need to, to say that we need to stop. Because right now, at this moment, whether it's like this moment or later, the reality is, is we have a choice. Right now, I, this can be just another sermon, another lesson, another time you heard a passage read about gossip, and you just store it away, and you just know it. Or it can be a moment that we, we take verse 29 incredibly seriously, and we say that we're just going to be done with gossip altogether. And this is a turning point, or you could say a fork in the road. Now, that's a matter of personal and corporate holiness. So I say, let us choose to love God and our neighbor by being better with our words. Let's move on to the hearer or the audience of gossip. Now, I've never been pregnant, and that's probably pretty obvious. Uh, but apparently, some women, when they are pregnant, have incredible cravings for particular food. Um, some women in here are like, give me that one. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, never been pregnant. But I want to give you guys a, for instance, of this dad-to-be. His name, let's just say, is Daniel, who was lying in his bed a little bit before 10 o'clock one night, and his eight-month pregnant wife gives him the elbow, and he's like, oh, dear, what? And his wife turns to him, and she, with a gentleness and authority, says... I absolutely will not be able to fall asleep tonight unless I have some chocolate chip pecan pie from Cracker Barrel. And at that point, Daniel's going through his head. Daniel's a smart guy. He knows not to mess with a woman who's eight months pregnant, and he knows that if you really want some sleep, this would be the best thing to do. So what does Daniel do? He gets on the phone. Daniel gets on the phone, and it's right before closing, and as you can imagine... Of course they don't have any pie, and of course they're not going to make one. And so, uh, just to bring you into that conversation, he calls and asks these questions, and the lady on the other side of the phone literally says, man, are you high right now? And he was like, no, I'm not. But my wife is pregnant, and she really, really, really wants this pie. And at that point, the lady says, hold on a second. And you can you know, imagine she puts the phone... And she yells back to the kitchen, Hey, it's a pregnant woman who wants the pie. And then she gets back on the phone and she goes, How pregnant is she? And he's like, He's like, eight months pregnant. And she's like, It'll be ready in 45 minutes. Bring a tip. So <laughs> the pregnant lady in that scenario has an incredible craving for a particular piece of food. But I think what is so uncanny is that it's probably very similar to our instinctive craving for gossip. And 
it comes so natural to us, doesn't it? To want to know all that good, juicy stuff. And I don't say that anecdotally. It's backed up by Scripture. If you look at Proverbs 18.8, it says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. I said in the first service, this is like a hot Krispy Kreme donut. It was made to be devoured and enjoyed. And we all know donuts aren't good for our health, unfortunately. So this deep desire for something that isn't necessarily good is what makes battling this sin so difficult for us. And I think it just reiterates all the more why it's absolutely important that we fight this fight and we go to battle every day with it. Because if we don't, we're in trouble. I would say that it also reiterates the fact that we need to fight this fight because it also tells us something else. If we commit to not hearing gossip, if we commit to that, we kill gossip. We kill it right where it's at. It perishes if we refuse to hear it. Proverbs 26.20 says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. What that's saying is if we halt gospel in its tracks, if we prevent the words from ever being spoken, we do a good thing. What we end up doing is protecting the reputation of one of our brothers or sisters in Christ. We preserve the dignity of another human being. We promote unity in the church. We help avoid, help another person avoid the sin of gossip. We bring a smile to the face of God. And last but not least, we protect ourselves from becoming fools. Because Proverbs tells us that if we entertain such talks, thoughts and talk, and talk we make ourselves a fool. So the question is, is how do we protect our brother and sister in Christ and ourself as a hearer? Well, it's been said that there wouldn't be so many open mouths if there wasn't open ears to hear. What that means is gossip exists only because we want it or we allow it because we entertain it. And we know we should squash it. And the reason a lot of times we don't is because it's not so easy to squash it. And it can be tricky to squash it, right? Especially, what if it's coming from a really good friend and you want to stop it? It's going to require some serious tact to get that one taken care of. In fact, I would say this. If you want to crush gossip, I would almost guarantee that you're probably going to have to start disappointing a few people because they're going to come to you and you're going to turn them away. Now, it's not going to be easy, but I do think it must be done and must be done in the right way. I said first service. Uh, I said, one good way not to deal with this is just to put your finger in their face here. Oh, you're gossiping! Stop it, stop it, stop it! Like, not going to go over so well. Another tactic would be just to put your fingers in your ears and, ah, and just put out white noise so you can't hear. That won't be accepted well either from the person you're talking to. Now, I think the thing that we often do because we don't know what to do is we just sit there and we listen and we just hope please don't go there. Please don't go there. And then it happens, and you can't unhear it. And there's nothing you can do after that. So here's my suggestion. Become an unsafe person for gossip. Become a person from which it's unsafe for gossip to be around. Now, there's a few examples of how you can do this. I think one of the best ways to become unsafe is to be a person who asks questions. Don't just sit there passively in a conversation. Ask questions that can bring this to a halt. So you might feel yourself being brought into one of these 
situations. Here are some questions you could use. And again, gentleness is of the utmost importance. But here's one. If someone starts talking to you, you could ask, have you shared this concern with that person? Because if not, I'd be willing to go with you to talk to them. That'll stop it right where it's at. Another thing is, you can just, like, in the middle, hey, can I get a timeout for, like, can you tell me, like, is this information I really need to know? Because if not, let's, let's just let it go. That's another option. Another thing you could say is, like, hey, let me stop you right there, because that sounds really serious. Do you need me to help, like, promote some reconciliation here or protect this person's reputation? Or, like, even, can I help you so your heart doesn't grow bitter towards this person? <laughs> that, that helps real quick, because it says, hey, how about the log in your own eye before going over to the speck in the other person's eye? Now, uh, I did give the first service a panic button to hit. If you're like me and you're like, I don't know what to do right now, hit the panic button. Just blurt out, I'm not, I can't keep secrets. It's not safe. Don't talk to me. <laughs> Just, that, that'll do it too. Um, whatever happens, you need to develop your own way of putting gossip to an end. Make yourself an unsafe person for gossip. The reason I say this is because anytime that we hear gossip, it's not the other person's fault. It's a self-inflicted wound. We choose to hear it. We choose to take it in. And the reason I say that is because we can't unhear it, and oftentimes once we hear it, the damage is done. Our thought life has been corrupted, and so on and so forth. So in summary, I would say stopping gossip will protect at least three people. It will protect yourself. It will protect the one who might be gossiped about, but it will also help the person who would have sinned otherwise. And as a bonus, as a huge, massive bonus, the unity and purity of the church just might be preserved. Let me conclude by going back to the beginning. I don't mean like the beginning of this passage or the beginning of my sermon, but to the beginning of the Bible, back to Genesis chapter 1. Because there we see that mankind was created perfectly, created without flaw, without any relational issues whatsoever in their life. And then we get to Genesis chapter 3, where we see a fall from grace. And we as image bearers of God are now marred by sin. And not just the fact that we might die or we're separated from God. Every single part of our life, the entirety of our life, is struck by sin. That includes our tongue. And our tongue was polluted and corrupted by sin. But it doesn't have to be so. It doesn't have to be that way. There is a way to overcome gossip and corruptive talk as the teller and the hearer. But it doesn't start with trying harder. It doesn't start by seeing if all your words pass a five-point Ephesians 4 test. It doesn't come with hitting the panic button and saying, I'm not trustworthy. It starts with new birth. It starts with a new heart. It starts with a new spirit. It's a heart that desires to follow God and love him back. Now, if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, we, we, we don't even need to talk about gossip at this moment. We need to talk about being right with the Lord. Come to the Lord, because gossip can't be overcome in the flesh. You need supernatural help, but that comes by being right with God.
So put your faith in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are a Christian, you must engage in this fight to be holy as he is holy, to be like Christ. So whether you have failed at doing this, whether you're even maybe currently failing, or you really want to do this and you need help, have good news. This is the perfect day to be here. Because today we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, and at the table we both have a reminder of the forgiveness that we have in Christ for our sins, but we also have a means of grace to strengthen and enable us to follow him in his ways. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we, as we come and look at your word here, Father, we do pray that you would give us a zeal to apply your word to our lives, to follow after you, to bring every word and thought captive to Christ. Give us grace to do that even this week. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.